0: the power of their data wasabi, another Boston based championship team. Welcome to the This Week in Rays Baseball podcast. Here's your host, Neil Solons.
1: And welcome to our latest podcast. Great to have you back with us. Happy New Year. Hope you enjoy the holidays. Certainly, it's a good time to start talking baseball, especially after the Hall of Fame vote is in. And a guy who nailed the vote this year in terms of voting for the people who did get elected to the Hall of Fame. Of course, I'm talking about Ken Griffey Jr. and Mike Piazza. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Mark, uh, am I wrong in saying that uh, you still actually, even though we're talking about your vote now, you're still uh, technically on vacation?
2: It is, Neil, and I I wish I could tell you we were doing this interview from the uh, sunny beaches of a Caribbean Resort, but I'm actually uh, in Port Charlotte uh, looking at our new rental facility for the
1: spring, so... So it's a semi-working vacation, so we appreciate you interrupting that work for this work. Um, Your take on the Hall of Fame decision or what the voters decided on, obviously you got the two who who were going in, and and many more, too.
2: Yeah, it was interesting, Neil. I mean, I thought that Bagwell uh, might have made it this year. I thought there had been enough momentum and enough traction gains. I was a little surprised he fell short, and, and not by very much, obviously, but... Griffey was, you know, obviously a no-brainer. Piazza had had kind of moved into that,
3: you know, it was going to
2: happen stage. And and I thought was interesting, too, was some of the gains that were made. Uh, Tim Raines, obviously, and uh, someone who I have not voted for and and nothing, you know, against him, and we can talk about that. But, you know, he he made an impressive game. You've seen him make some gains. But I I think one of the subplots this year's election was the increase both in votes and in percentage, and there's two different things there by Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, and and that struck me as interesting as well.
1: You know, Ken Rosenthal had an interesting piece on that today, and he said their gains are not as big as you might think because of the reduced number of voters, that they actually lost total number of voters, but because maybe they took a lot of guys who were not covering the game away from it, uh, that basically they just got a higher percentage because of that. What's your thought on that thought process regarding the gains that Bonds and Clemens had?
2: Yeah, I I think I understand what Ken was saying, and I think he was looking at it maybe purely from a mathematical standpoint. But I think if you look at it from an ideological standpoint, the fact that older voters were trimmed, which is factually correct, there were 109 fewer votes, and many of those were because they did trim the rolls of people who have not been covering the game. But there's definitely a changing mindset. and, And, you know, a number of writers, a number of people that you know that I'm good friends with, that I'm colleagues with, Uh, jerry krasnick of espn is one who comes to mind came out this year and said they switched their vote they are they're tired of kind of fighting this battle of of trying to be moralists and are voting for the best players that's obviously a position that you know that i've had for a couple of Mm -hmm. years now and have felt very convicted and strongly convicted about that that it's a museum that should reflect the best players so I do think there were gains. I think there were, you know, as we talked about, the mathematical gains. But I think ideologically a number of people who've been opposed to that voted for Bonds and Clemens. And there's also a school of thought going around this morning that because Piazza was in, and to some people, though he's never been connected officially, there was a cloud of PED suspicion over him. And the fact that he has now been elected may further erode that moralistic opposition that some people have had to, you know, I'm never going to vote for anyone who's ever been associated with PDs. I don't want anyone like that in the hall. Well, if you have that view and you felt that way about Piazza, you know, you've lost that battle because he's in.
1: And you're right on that And I'm curious, you know, and I think you've made your, your opinion clear, and it's ahead of the curve uh, in my mind and has been the last couple of years. All right, next year Manny Ramirez is voted on. Because he tested positive and was suspended, can you not vote for a guy like that?
2: I can, and, and I probably, as we sit here today, won't. I mean, my my philosophy has been to vote for the guys that, if even though maybe connected, like we say, and then, you know, suspicions, likely, whatever you want to use, but I have voted for the Bonds and for the Clemens, but the people that actually tested positive, that actually broke the rules, that were caught, Rafael Palmero, Sammy Sosa, those guys I have not voted for, so... You know, going by that theory, I would not vote for Manny Ramirez, and and that's a light, the squiggly line. I admit, but I, I think it's a a squiggly line in ink anyway.
1: Yes, it is, and you know I, I'm with you on that. I, I think the the interesting one next year is going to be Pudge because, you know, he never tested positive, but you know Jose Canseco, in his tell all book, and he's been right about a lot of what he said. You know, certainly intimated that that Pudge was was using as well, and. Look, if we go by Piazza then then he, by your stance and, and I would go with it too, he gets voted in, but I think that's probably gonna be an interesting test.
2: Yeah, and, and those will be two great ones to see. And and you know, where does Manny fall? Does he if he ends up polling as low as like Mark McGuire did and Sammy Sosa did, guys that you know barely managed in some years to stay on the ballot? Or will will he get more support? And Ivan Rodriguez, again, arguably one of the best catchers in the history of the game and we just talked about Piazza as the best offensive catcher, but Pudge Rodriguez, one of the best overall catchers in the history of the game, never tested positive, never suspended. I mean, he certainly, I would you know, think, have my vote and many others. it will be curious to see how close he comes next year. You know,
1: part of the, the issue that, that's occurred in the backlog is the people who would not vote for these guys, and it led to really more than, in a lot of people's minds, 10 guys that you could choose. Now, I know you wanted to see the, the ballot, and so did the writers, wanted to see it expanded to be able to pick a dozen. There are some who would say just pick those that are deserving if it's 12, if it's 13, whatever it happens to be. Do you see them increasing the ballot in future years, and how much is it hurting certain candidates because of the percentage, you know, because you've got so many choices to make?
2: Yeah, I'll take that question in two pieces, and I I don't think the hall is going to change the rules. I think they are going to stick to the ten they were very quickly to dismiss a suggestion from you know our membership from the BBWAA to increase to 12 i know the idea has been floated by Derek Gould a good friend of mine who covers the Cardinals mm-hmm. in St. Louis to make it a binary ballot where it's just yes or no jason stark from espn has also written about that subject i don't think they're going to do that i think the hall likes the system i think they feel that you know that limit forces some tough decisions and Yeah, there is a sentiment among at least some of the current Hall of Famers, and I would never, of course, cast too wide a brush here, but there are some of the current Hall of Famers who do not want any PED players related in, and they have a certain, you know, there's a certain gravitas to their voice with the Hall officials. And if the current Hall of Famers, you know, intimate they don't want these guys in, the Hall can manipulate things a little bit to make it tougher, such as reducing the amount of years a guy stays on the ballot keeping that ten limit. There's different ways to force the and shape the voting a little bit.
1: If you had an eleventh or twelfth pick, who would it have been or would you have gone beyond ten?
2: No, I, I was down to uh I, I think I wrote in my column in the Santa time Times of the other day, I had eight fairly easily and then I had a group of four or five guys for those final two spots and look I was very open and, and Jonah Carey, a good friend of yours and mine, you know, has been mm-hmm. very public in his support for Tim Rains and you know, I never voted for Tim Raines, but I, you know, I told Jonah to his face over a meal one day. I will always look at it and give it serious thought, and you know, be open to, to you know, further analysis. I mean, obviously Tim Raines hasn't played in all these years, but I'm open looking at that, and I think Tim Raines was a guy I looked at. You know, the Schilling Mussina. I don't think either one is quite there, but you know, again, they're guys that you certainly have to look at, um, and Larry Walker is another guy that, you know, there's a lot of support for among certain people. And, and you know, the, it's easy to dismiss him because of the home road split of playing so many games in Coors Field. But those are the kind of guys that, you know, have gotten and will continue to get support going forward. And, and you know, as ballots open up, you know, I think people got used to voting. One thing that's interesting, Neil, and, and this takes, you know, a mathematical study here, but people suddenly got used to voting for 10, which, you know, I hadn't voted for more than five or six. And then we got to this, kind of like you say, this backlog of all these candidates and you voted for the full 10, and I've now done that for a couple of years. And I think that just kind of also changed the mindset of voters a little bit. And you've got a younger voting group, a group that's more sabermetric friendly, that's more familiar with the sabermetric things, and that also is more open to the PED era because they covered it and they saw how it unfolded.
1: Tim Raines is last year on the ballot next year. How likely are you to change your, your thought process based on
2: Yeah. How- you know what? I, I, it's funny. I don't think I'm going to change my thought process because it's his last year and, and make it a quote unquote sympathy vote. I know there are some people who do that. There's some people who withhold votes from guys because they don't think they're first year Hall of Famers when they first come on the ballot. You know, we still haven't figured it out or heard the reasoning for the three people who didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. So there, there's different reasons. I, I think if I make a decision, if I change my position on Tim Raines, it's going to be just from the fact of further Study and further appreciation, and, and you know, further parsing of his numbers, and you know, the whole concept of you know, he, just because he wasn't Ricky Henderson, it shouldn't be held against him. So there's there's definitely some analysis, further you know, deeper digging to be done on Tim Raines, but it's not going to be oh, it's his last year, so let's give him the vote now because he's a good guy and he's from Florida and those kind of things.
1: Well, I'm not going to lobby you here. I, I if I don't have a say, so, uh, but if I did, I probably would vote for Raines. I I think uh, to me. He just is a. I think he is somewhat of a victim of Ricky Henderson, but I also see that you know people look at that three thousand hit number and they see that as important, and I look at the walks and the stolen bases and all those things he's done and how he impacted the game. But you know that that will be a debate, I'm sure, for for over the next year. Um,
2: It it will, and and, you know, I think the one thing with Tim Raines, just to to cap that part of this conversation, is it's just the length of time in which he was dominant. Mm -hmm. He, He was dominant for a number of years, but was it a long enough period? And you can compare and go back and forth and, you know, pick isolated examples and make it look like a great case or make it look like a little less strong case. But that that to me is the issue. Was he great long enough? He was good for a long time, but was he great long enough?
1: It's certainly an interesting debate going forward. And the other one, you know, you mentioned bonds climate. I, I the, the most interesting thing to me is that some people decided to vote for one and not for the other. And I don't know how you can do that. Um, to me, you vote for both or, or not at all. Uh, but do you think that over the next six years that one or both will get in?
2: I do. I really do, Neil. I, I think that there's going to be, as, as we talked about a few minutes ago, this, this evolution of the voting body, the changes made by the hall because it is still their vote. We are we are have the privilege as BBWA members to be the voting people, but it's still their rules and their election. I just think that the issue is coming to a head because of those factors, and I think the younger uh, a more accepting voting voting group, and I do think I said as we see a shift amongst some other people. So I do think they're going to end up in. I, I don't know when. I don't know if it's going to be one year from now or it's going to take their full ten years. But I do think it's going to happen.
1: The one thing that I think is interesting is we talk about this shift, and you've mentioned it a couple of times in terms of uh, the the type of voter you have there who is a little more sabermetrically oriented. You look at that and. You also would sense that they would be less inclined to vote a reliever in. Now, there's a few relievers still out there. You, you were in favor of Trevor Hoffman and Lee Smith, uh, as you indicated in your, in your vote. Um, Billy Wagner did not get a lot of support, but certainly has great numbers. What's your take on the whole status of closers or back-end relievers getting in? Obviously, Mariano uh, you know, is going to get there at some point.
2: Sure, and that's going to be kind of funny because Mariano is going to be, you know, a very, very high vote total, almost you know, in in that top elite level range. And yet there's people arguing that you know Trevor Hoffman, Billy Wagner, and Lee Smith don't deserve to be in. And this idea that well they only pitch one inning, and you know there, there's people who adamantly insist wins don't matter. There's people who adamantly insist saves don't matter. And maybe this is the old school part of my philosophy, but. It's still a matter of you know winning the ball game and mm-hmm. once the contributions are done. And sure, a guy who pitches only one inning versus a guy who pitches six or seven innings, obviously you can skew the statistics. But that one inning is the most important inning of the game. And that is, you know, I, I've had people give me the same argument of, why won't you vote for Edgar Martinez, but you'll vote for a guy who's a one-inning specialist. Well, Edgar Martinez was a DH because he wasn't good enough to play in the field in the judgment of his managers and his coaches. Mm-hmm. These guys that we're talking about were moved to the back end of the game because they were excellent. They were dominant. They were a better force for their team to pitch in that one and Some of those guys started early in their career, but they were moved into that role because of how good they were.
1: It, it You know, and, and that gets me to uh, a topic of, of winning with the bullpen. And the one thing since you started your vacation, I would say, has happened that's significant involving – the American League East and the Rays, is the Yankees going out and getting rolled as Chapman. Now, depending his legal issues, um, you could have a bullpen of Miller, Betances, and Chapman, which would arguably be the most dominant back-end bullpen in the game. What's your take on, on what happened over the last few weeks with that move specifically?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because you're right. There haven't been a ton of moves. I mean, there have been a couple of deals, Gordon going back to the Royals. I thought John Jaso signing with the Pirates was really interesting just because of you know, his lack of experience at first base and just really never played there. So that was interesting. But you're right, the biggest move that could impact the Rays is the Yankee bullpen situation. I don't think we know yet because I'm not convinced they're keeping all three guys. I mean, if they do, you're right. That is, that's better than Kansas City. That's nasty boys, you know, glory days, quality, if they have Chapman, Kansas, and Miller. But I wonder maybe they're waiting to see what the suspension's going to be on Chapman and then decide whether to trade Miller or not you know, to have two lefties in those three is an interesting dynamic, but I don't know. If they keep all three, it's an incredible weapon, and it's certainly a way to compensate for some of the deficiencies they have in their starting staff, but moving Miller and getting a younger starting pitcher who can serve them well for a number of years might also be a better big-picture move. As they're set up right now, though, absolutely a force and you know, you talk about a team that could shorten a game, that will be the most classic example ever, even, like I said, more so than the Royals of the last two years, I think.
1: I would, I would definitely agree there. And it's going to make for interesting debate. And there's still a lot to be done over the next six weeks. There are a lot of free agents still out there. Um, and I would think we'll see some trades, too. So, Mark, we'll, we'll see you next week when you officially get off vacation. Thanks for a few minutes.
2: Anytime, Neil. Great way to start the new year.
1: That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, and certainly it is a good way to start the new year with him joining us. And it's also good to start the new year when we have some time to chat with Mitch Lukovic, Director of Minor League Operations for the Rays. And Mitch joining us to talk about the fact that the Rays announced their minor league staffs during the course of this week. And for the most part, everything is status quo. All the managers are back from a
3: year ago. So Mitch, tell me, how important is that for your minor leaguers yeah thanks neil happy new year to you as well um yeah continuity is great when good people do good things uh continuity the way we teach how we go about our business uh players feel comfortable with that type of stuff and that might sound a little corny but they get the same consistent demands they get the same consistent of progression of teaching players know what to expect our staff demands a lot of them, and uh, when good people do good things, they need to be rewarded.
1: And for the most part, your even your coaching staffs below the managers uh, are intact with some notable promotions. Probably the biggest, Ozzie Timmons, going from double to triple-A, and I know he's been in Montgomery for quite a while.
3: Well, Ozzie has done a wonderful job for us from day one here, and he has graduated to obviously, to be our Durham Bulls hitting coach. And uh, he was certainly capable of that years ago. You know, movement in the system uh, is tough sometimes and was tough for Ozzie. There was an opportunity for him this year, and we're happy that uh, he's going to fill that role.
1: And with that, it also meant Dan Demand got moved to AA, and he's a guy who's been in the system in the organization for quite a while and was with you in the Arizona Fall League coaching.
3: Yeah, both Ozzie and Dan were players here, and that's really a a good feeling for us because when they come in, you know all about them. And with Ozzy going up from AA to AAA, that opened up uh, an opportunity for Dan DeMent, who's been a player here. Dan's been with us, like you mentioned, in the Arizona Fall League this, this past fall. So, you know, it's like players. You move up, you graduate, and Dan DeMent's ready for this next level and the challenges that come with it. And
1: for the better part, the coordinators are the same. You actually do now have four pitching coordinators rather than three, uh, with Charlie Hager being added a guy who had a major league career
3: and throws uncle knuckleball it gives you a little different look charlie's a great addition and uh he's a quality person he's a quality teacher he brings a little different expertise because you know he did throw a knuckleball but you know he knows all about a delivery he knows about stretch delivery time and Hold, how to hold on to the running game, and or hold the running game, I should say. Just because he throws the knuckleball, he's just not stereotyped into one area of our teaching of, of pitching.
1: Well, for the most part, again, staffs are intact, and they'll be getting together before we know it. Mitch, thanks for a few minutes. Great, Neil. Thank you. That's Mitch Lukovic, again, director of minor league operations for the Rays. And the minor leaguers will actually come in focused again next week on our podcast because it's also a Rays winter development program next week. We'll have that and much more. Until then, thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you soon.